Chapter Two of the Ranchman by Charles Alden Seltzer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Slick Duds. After a time, Taylor's lips wreathed into a smile. He searched in his pockets. He had transferred all his effects from the clothing in the suitcase to his present uncomfortable raiment and produced a long faded envelope in danger of imminent disintegration. The smile faded from his lips as he drew out the contents of the envelope, and a certain grim pity filled his eyes. He read, Squint, that rock falling on me has fixed me. There is no use in me trying to fool myself. I'm going out. There's things a man can't say, even to a friend like you. So I'm writing this. You won't read it until after I'm gone, and then you can't tell me what you think of me for shoving this responsibility on you. But you'll accept, I know. You'll do it for me, won't you? I've had a lot of trouble, family trouble. It wouldn't interest you, but it made me come west. Maybe I shouldn't have come, I don't know, but it seemed best. You've been a mighty persevering friend, and I know you from the ground up. You never inquired about my past, but I know you've wondered. Once I mentioned my daughter, and I saw you look sharp at me. Yes, there is a daughter. Her name is Marion. There was a wife and her brother, Elam Parsons. But only Marion counts. The others are too selfish and sneaking. You won't be interested in that, but I want Marion taken care of. She was fifteen when I last saw her. She looked just like me, thank God for that. She won't have any of the characteristics of the others. Squint, I want you to take care of her. You'll find her in Westwood, Illinois. You and me have talked of selling the mine. Sell it, take my share, and for it give Marion a half-interest in your ranch, the Arrow. If there is any left, put it in land in Dawes. That town is going to boom. Guard it for her and marry her, Squint. She'll make you a good wife. Tell her I want her to marry you. She'll do it, for she always liked her dad. There was more, but Taylor read no further. He stuffed the envelope into a pocket and sat looking out of the window, regarding morosely the featureless landscape. After a time he grinned saturninely. Looks to me like a long chance, Larry, he mused. Considered as a Marian proposition, she don't seem to be enthusiastic over me. Now what in thunder is she doing out here, and why is that man Carrington with her, and where did she pick him up? There came no answer to these questions. Reluctant, after the girl's mocking smile, to seem to intrude, Taylor sat in the smoking compartment during the long afternoon until the dusk began to descend, until, through the curtains of the compartment, he caught a glimpse of the girl and her companions returning from the dining car. Then, after what he considered a decent interval, he emerged from the compartment, went to the diner, ate heartily, and returned to the smoking room. He had met Larry Harlan about three years before. Harlan had appeared at the Arrow one morning looking for a job. Taylor had hired him, not because he needed men, but because he thought Harlan needed work. A friendship had developed, and when one day Harlan had told Taylor about a mine he had discovered 
in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, some miles southwestward, offering Taylor a half-interest if the latter would help him get at the gold. Taylor had agreed. They found the mine, worked it, and had taken considerable gold out of it, when one day a huge rock had fallen on Harlan. Taylor had done what he could, rigging up a drag with which to take Harlan to town and a doctor. But Harlan had died before town could be reached. That had been the extent of Taylor's friendship for the man. But he had followed Harlan's directions. Sitting in the smoking compartment, he again drew out Harlan's note to him and read further. Marion will have considerable money, and I don't want no sneak to get hold of it. Like the sneak that got hold of the money my wife had, that I saved. There's a lot of them around. If Marion is going to fall in love with one of that kind, I'd rather she wouldn't get what I leave. The man would get it away from her. Use your own judgment and I'll be satisfied. It was not difficult for Taylor to divine what had happened to Harlan. Nor was it difficult to understand that the man's distrust of other men amounted to an obsession. However, Taylor had no choice but to assume the trust and no course but to obey Harlan's wishes in the matter. Taylor's trip eastward to Kansas City had been for the purpose of attending to his own financial interests and, incidentally, to conclude the deal for the sale of the mine. He had deposited the money in his own name, but he intended, or had intended, after returning to the Arrow, to make arrangements for his absence, to go to Westwood and find Marion Harlan. The presence of the girl on the train, and the certain conviction that she was bound for Dawes, made the trip to Westwood unnecessary. For Taylor had no doubt that the girl was the daughter of Larry Harlan. That troublesome resemblance of hers to someone of his acquaintance bothered him no longer. For the girl was the living image of Larry Harlan. Taylor had not anticipated the coming of Carrington into his scheme of things. For the first time since Larry Harlan's letter had come into his possession, he realized that deep in his heart was a fugitive desire for the coming of the girl to the Arrow. He had liked Larry Harlan, and he had drawn mental pictures of what the daughter would be like, and though she was not exactly as he had pictured her, she was near enough to the ideal he had visualized. He wanted, now more than ever, to faithfully fulfill his obligation to Larry Harlan. The presence of Carrington on the train, coupled with the inference that Carrington was a close friend of the girl's, irritated Taylor. For, at the first glance, he had felt a subtle antagonism for the man, yet he was more disturbed over the mockery in the girl's eyes when she had looked directly at him when she had caught him listening to her talk with Carrington and the older man. Still, Taylor was not the type of man who permits the eminence of discord to disturb his mental equanimity. And he grinned into the glowing darkness of the plains with a grimly humorous twist to his lips that promised interesting developments should Carrington oppose him. When he again looked out of the aperture in the curtains, screening the smoking compartment from the aisle, he saw the porter pass, carrying bedclothing. Later he saw the porter returning, smilingly inspecting a bill. After an interval, the porter stuck his head through the curtains and surveyed him with a flashing grin. 
"'Is you ready to retire, boss?' he asked. A quarter of an hour later, Taylor was alone in his berth, gazing at his reflection in the glass while he undressed. "'You wouldn't have the nerve to think she's interested in you, would you, you homely son of a gun?' he queried of his reflection. "'Why, no, she ain't, of course,' he added. "'No woman could be interested in you. You've been all day looking like a half-baked dude.' and no woman is interested in dudes. Carefully removing the contents of the several pockets of the despised wearing apparel in which he had suffered for many days, he got into his nightclothes and rang for the porter. When the latter appeared with his huge grin, Taylor gave him the offensive clothing, bundled together to form a large ball. George, he said seriously, almost solemnly, I'm tired of being a dude. Some day... I may decide to be a dude, but not now. Take these duds and save them until I ask for them. If you offer them to me before I ask for them, I'll perforate you sure as hell. He produced a big Colt pistol from somewhere, and, as the weapon glinted in the light, the porter's eyes bulged, and he backed away gingerly, holding the bundle of clothing. Yes, sir, boss, yes, sir. I sure won't mention it till you does, boss. When the porter had gone, Taylor grinned into the glass. I sure have felt just what I looked, he said. Then he got into his berth and dreamed all night of a girl whose mocking eyes seemed to say, Well, do you think you have profited by listening? Why, sure, he retorted in his dreams. I've seen you, ain't I? End of chapter 2